Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. We're going to talk about, like I said, rethinking Easter today, and that was a great way to get us kick-started in, in how uh, we think about Easter and what Easter is about, what it's for, um, why we celebrate it, and why we actually do some of the things that we do for Easter. So for our church on Good Friday, we had a Good Friday gathering, a Good Friday service of sorts, um, uh, where we just got together and we celebrated the death of Jesus. And it sounds weird if, if you're not familiar with church, if, if you're not, uh, if this is one of your first times uh, around, around a church, celebrating someone's death sounds really, sounds really strange. But when we're talking about Jesus and what his death means for us, and when we, when we couple that with the resurrection, it changes everything for us. And, and when we look at his death and, and we, and we uh, know that he did this for us and that it was necessary for a number of reasons we'll talk about, then we can celebrate it. So for our church, we did Good Friday. And then yesterday, as Teresa mentioned in her prayer, we engaged St. Jamestown over here and just did an Easter event for the community. And uh, for those of you guys who were there, uh, thank you. For those of you guys who helped prep leading up to it, thank you. For those of you guys who prayed for it, thank you. It was such an awesome event. We had such a great time uh, spending time with families and meeting people in the community and just sharing the love of Jesus through random Easter stuff. And so for, for us as Christians, Easter is, is the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. Uh, but if you look at things that our culture celebrates in Easter, so we have eggs, we have bunnies, we have baby chickens, we have uh, candy. Like all these things are redeemable. So all these things, even though Easter... Uh, some, some people trace Easter back to a pagan holiday, and there's actually historical evidence that the early church took this pagan holiday and they redeemed it for what it is today, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus does. That's what the death of Jesus does, is it takes death, something that all of us are going to have to experience one day, and Jesus redeems it for us. Just like the early church did for Easter. So just, just take eggs, for instance. Eggs represent the empty tomb. So a chick hatched some egg, represents new life. The empty egg represents the empty tomb. tomb. You have, uh, I don't know if this is a, a thing here. Actually, I didn't research this, but in the States, they do, a, they do an egg roll on the White House lawn. Not like an egg roll you eat, but like where they roll an egg. Uh, I don't really know what the, why that, wor- that tradition is there. Um, but uh, it's supposed to represent, and it, is, it points us back to the, the stone rolling away from the tomb. Uh, even, even bunnies and new life and multiplication, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's candy, and we can't redeem that, but 
We have all these other things that, that we can look at that point to Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And, and, uh, and we look at this holiday that started out as something pagan. Uh, when people celebrated Easter, they would get drunk and go sleep with temple prostitutes. That's how it was celebrated to this, this pagan goddess. And the early church says, no, we can actually begin to redeem this. And now on Easter, we don't go get drunk and sleep with temple prostitutes. We actually... Uh, celebrate Jesus and his resurrection. And we see that redeemed throughout history. And so like I said, Jesus does the same thing in his death. He begins to give us a new perspective on life and a new perspective on death. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we rethink what Jesus, sorry about that, how do we rethink what Jesus has done for us in his death and what does that mean for us? So you, you might be thinking there, well, you know, the things that Adam prayed about, the things that Adam said, those are all great, but what does the resurrection have anything to do with me? Why does that have any significance for me? Sure, some guy died 2,000 or so years ago. Why does that matter for my life today? And I, I, I heard someone say last week that when asked about Jesus, he said it was a myth. He said Jesus didn't actually exist. And if there's anything that we can actually verify is that Jesus actually did exist. So today, I know that Jesus exists. There's overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus, the person, existed. And now today's your opportunity to figure out what to do with this person. There's actually overwhelming evidence that he came back to life, that he, he was on a cross, he died, and that he was appearing to people three days later for the next 40 days. So all this is overwhelming evidence. Now we have to figure out, what do we do with this? So for the resurrection for you uh, today, that's your question. You know, yes, what does it have to do with you? And hopefully today we'll figure that out together. This passage that Teresa read is from the book of Hebrews. And this is written after, after Christ's death. And talks about some really awesome things that normally we don't think about when, when we think about Jesus. So let's walk through this passage, and uh, I'll just point some things out along the way. So beginning in verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus, and let, let's just stop there. We often think of Jesus in terms of him being the Son of God. We think of Jesus in, in terms of his divinity, uh, that's... Uh, whether you're in church or outside of church, you've heard of Jesus referred to as God, as a son of God. Uh, and we often think about Jesus in those terms. But Jesus, the writer of Hebrews is pointing out here, was also the son of man. He was also, he was both of these things at the same time. He took on flesh. He lived in, in uh, this world just like, we, just like we do. He had an earthly life. And this is what the writer is trying to draw out for us, that Jesus dealt with some of the same things we dealt with. And just, just a quick note on this. Jesus, this is, this took, this is somewhat hard for, for us to understand. I'm going to try to explain it as, as well as I can. But Jesus is at the same time fully God and at the same time fully man. And we get a lot of this theology from a guy named Anselm, who, after years and years in the scriptures, kind of showed us how this, how this is possible and why this is actually necessary. So he wrote this work uh, called Why God Man, basically. Like, why, why did God have to become man? 
So if we, t- if we think about the fall and we follow the storyline of the scriptures, we are all sinners. We all have a sinful nature. We've all separated ourselves from God through the sinful nature, and we were just born into it. Like you didn't do anything to make this happen. You were just born in, into this reality, into a sinful, corrupt world. And in this world, we're separated from God. God did not create the world that way. He created it perfect. He created it very good, he says. But we chose to make it this way. And so we separated ourselves from God. Because of that, God had always said, if you do this, the penalty is actually death. The result of sin is death. The result of choosing evil over good is death. He says, that's why you shouldn't do it, but we end up choosing it, and, and the, the divide happens. So someone has to pay that penalty for death, and that's us, because we've created that separation, right? Uh, but God says, I, I want to redeem the entire world, And if I die because of my own penalty, because of my own sins, I'm not going to redeem you or you or you. I'm just not going to do anything. (laughs) I'm just going to pay that penalty. So God needed to come. We needed a perfect sacrifice in order to cover the entire world. And we're not perfect and we never will be. So God in his perfection says, I have to step into this flesh because we needed a representative from humanity to, to represent our sinful nature, and Jesus came to kill that nature and to bring us life. And so God had to step out of heaven, fully God, take on a fully human body, live a fully earthly life in order to be our perfect representative to cover the sins of the world. You guys following that logic? That's how... That's how That's why it was necessary for Jesus to willingly do this for us. And that's why a guy who died on a cross 2,000 years ago, who was murdered as a criminal, um, and that's why his death is significant for you today. And that's why the resurrection is even more significant for you today, because uh, all those things, fully God, fully man, he makes it accessible for all of us. Okay, so when the writer of Hebrews points this out, he's saying, yeah, Jesus was in the flesh. He took on full humanity. And in the same way, he offered up prayers and supplications. Much like us, we do this. We, we pray, we offer up prayers and supplications. And now look at what, how Jesus does this. It's with loud cries and tears. Now, this is referring to Jesus before his death. This is referring to him in the, probably in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before he's about to get betrayed and arrested and tried and his murder happens the next day. So all this happens before, uh, before that. And it says Jesus is, is, is doing this in loud cries. Does that sound familiar? Have you guys ever prayed like that? Just loud, and loud cries here means they are inarticulate noises. Jesus is at the point in his life where he doesn't know what to say. He's God, remember? But he doesn't even have the words for what he's experiencing, for what he's going through. And he just cries out in an inarticulate noise that only God can understand from the depths of his soul, from the depths of his heart. 
Can you identify with that? There are times in your life where you don't know what to say to God, but you're in such a horrible struggle that all you can do is cry out in an inarticulate way. And through tears, these aren't tears of joy, these are tears of suffering that Jesus experienced. And he cries out to him who is able to save, to save him from death. And not from death on the cross, but from the consequences of death. So he knows that the resurrection is possible. But Jesus also knows that he has to submit himself to death on a cross for our sake. But it wasn't easy, guys. He wasn't like, oh, this is going to be easy because I know I'm going to be raised from the dead later. This is how grueling and agonizing it was for Jesus to do this in, a, in full humanity and to submit himself to this. But he knew that God the Father could save him from the consequences of death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And that, that word there for reverence is basically referring to Jesus' willing submission, humble obedience to God the Father, even to the point of death. And what I want you to see out of this verse in particular is that in the resurrection, we're able to experience sympathy from Christ. That if there's a few things that I'm going to go through that we get out of the resurrection. The first one is sympathy. The second one is steadfastness. The third one is salvation. So we see Christ sympathizing with us and his ability to, and Jesus even more so can sympathize with you than than uh, uh, any of us can. Because he's been through it all. Like, even to the point of death. And, and it's all about trust. I love how we sang that song earlier. The song that the, the band wrote, which was amazing. Uh, that song, talk, it's all about living uh, in the trust of Jesus and, and living open-handedly and saying, God, take me wherever you want me to go. Do with me whatever you want me to do. Here's my open hands. I want to release everything to you. And this is what Jesus is doing in his willing uh, obedience, his, his humble submission to the Father. And have you, ever, have you ever tried to convince somebody to do something they were afraid to do? And this is what's stopping us a lot of times. We're, we're, we're afraid to do things. Have you ever tried to convince somebody? Let, let's just take... Uh, take skydiving, for instance. You could, you could tell someone, if they want to go skydiving, you could say, yeah, that company's great. They have 30 years of experience. Uh, they're a great company. You could say, oh, they'd use the best parachutes. They, they know how to pack it well. They have the utmost standards in the, in the industry. You could say, oh, they've... You know, so, you can give them the stats. So many people have, have jumped out of a plane with a parachute and only this many have died. Uh, <laughs> but if that person you're trying to convince says, well, what was it like when you went skydiving? And you say, well, I've never been skydiving. I want to do that. <laughs> then your whole argument is just got dismantled. Your whole argument just went out the window. In parenting, this happens, or similar situations happen with less life-threatening uh, instances. I remember when we first, when we first uh, took our girls to the playground in our neighborhood. It's a really sweet park, really sweet playground. There are like uh, little slides, medium slides, and there's this one like gigantic, humongous 
death-defying slide. I remember when, when we first went, I looked at it, I'm like, I ain't going down that. There's no way. Um, but our girls eventually, they, they got over the little slides, and they wanted to try the bigger ones, and we wanted them to try the big one. And, and when we first started going to the park, there were two, and there, yeah, Emerson was two, Reagan was, was one. And so we're like trying to move them up to the bigger slide. But they were so scared. And we're like, it's okay, it's okay. And we could tell them anything we wanted to about that slide. We'd give them the angle and, and tell them, you know, how the angle is. You're not going to fall off. You know, gravity. We could give them all the science behind it. Uh, but they're two in one, right? <laughs> Even us were like, who cares? Um, and, uh, but what, they, what finally convinced them to go down the big slide, guess what it was? It was daddy going down the big slide. It was mommy going down the big slide. It was one of us saying, look, we'll show you that this is possible. We'll show you that you're not going to die. We'll show you that it's going to be okay. And eventually, that first time they went down the slide, you would think, oh, well, that's it. Next time we go to the park, easy. They'll, they'll just go down that slide. They won't be scared again. But guess what? We didn't go to the park every day. Next week or whatever, we go back to the park, and they're still fearful of it. They've already been down it. They've already seen us do it. But fear had overcome them. The fear grips them, and it prevented them from doing something that they knew was going to be amazing, that they knew was going to be awesome, because they had a past experience. But still, we had to coax them, and, and finally, we can go to the park now, and, and they're, they're totally fine with it. We had to get them to that point. It's all because of trust. Do you guys ever feel like that with God? Do you ever feel like, even though you know that God has never failed you, then in some things you just can't trust him? And maybe sometimes you feel like God has failed you, and you can't trust him. And just, he hasn't, but you feel that way. And it's like God has given us this big playground, and he's like, go, play, have fun. But some of you guys are 20, 30-year-old believers, followers of Jesus, and you're still going down the baby slide. And it's not fun, because it's like a point one second ride, and your legs touch the ground. <laughs> and that's the extent of your faith. And you wonder, why am I struggling in my journey of faith? I know, I know God, is, God is true. I know he's faithful. I know he's good. It's because you won't trust him. It's because you haven't humbly submitted yourself to him like Jesus did. Because you haven't willingly said, God, here, take me and use me. Do whatever you want. Everything I have is yours. Jesus, up to this point, he had a good life. People think he grew up poor, but actually a lot of the evidence is he was a, so he grew up in a carpenter family. And Carpenters were in high demand because Herod was building his temple. And, and so he may have been pretty well off. And he gave all that up. He quit his job. He left his family. He uh, found new friends. He, he left everything to do what he knew God the Father was calling him to do. And he'd spent 30 years of his life preparing for the next three years. But he'd, he'd had so many things that he had to give up. Before that, guys, he steps out of heaven into this. Like, who would want to do that? And he, he, he leaves all that behind for us. 
And here we are holding on to the little baby slide. And we can't trust God. And we're holding on to our family. We're holding on to our, our jobs. We're holding on to uh, financial security. We're holding on to comfort. We're, you know, put whatever's in your hand that you're holding on to. And Jesus is showing us to do this. To just release it to him. And he gives us that example on his way to the cross. And his whole life is this example he's showing us. And God wants you to get off that baby slide and he wants you to go down that big one because he says you were made for that. You weren't made for this. You're made for the big one. You're made for the abundant life, he says. You're made to experience uh, joy. And when you trust Jesus, you experience true joy and rest and peace and the presence of God. And this is why we, we talk about discipleship at our church as hear, trust, obey. It's hearing the voice of God, uh, learning how to trust God in order to obey. Where joy and peace and all that is found is in the trust component. And, and some of us hear God well, but we say no, because we don't trust that well. And we're never going to experience the blessing of obedience if we can't experience the joy and the fellowship and the fruit of trusting Jesus. And even Jesus does this. And he gives us, and in verse 8 it says, although he was a son... He learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learns it. This is the only time in the Bible that the word learn is used to describe Jesus. Because he's God, right? What, what, what is he going to learn? But he, it says he even learns obedience through what he suffered. It gives him a perspective on what we go through. And just before this passage... Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And he says, Jesus did this, and he was without sin. Here's, here's the thing with, with suffering. Um, oh, a couple things. Uh, a, a bunch of things. So even, even Jesus suffered, right? So if he is our Lord, if he is our Savior... Then, then we have to know that's, that's going to happen for us. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, suffering is just an inevitable part of this life. It's a necessary part. We all suffer in different ways. And there's some suffering that's avoidable, like getting eaten by a shark. You don't, you don't have to swim in the ocean if you don't want to. Uh, you know, there's, there's some suffering that you can avoid. But for the most part, we all have a shared human experience of suffering. And Jesus shares this with us. And he does it to an even greater extent than we do, where he even knows more about suffering than we do. And suffering is not a creation of God. Some of us think that God needs suffering in order to teach us things or that he uses or I should say he needs suffering in order for us to uh, see his goodness and his glory God is not the author of suffering God is not the author of evil he created the world in a, in a certain way we chose to rebel Satan, us, we brought evil into the world and, and so God does allow certain things to happen he allows suffering to take place because that's our choice and here, here's the thing most of us choose suffering every day because we just can't see the things that we have. 
and that God's given us. Most of you guys are suffering because you can't see what's right before you. Because you're looking and saying, I need that, or I want that, or I should be that, or I should be there. And you don't even see what God's given you right now and who you are as an uh, image bearer of the living God. And so a lot of our suffering is self-imposed. Now, God does teach us through suffering sometimes. God does use suffering, and he can use suffering to bring good out of it. But God doesn't need to use suffering to bring good. We know God's good whether he does things for us or he doesn't. God is good regardless. God's goodness is not dependent on what he does for you or what he doesn't, doesn't do for you. God is good regardless of those things. And so when we look at suffering, Jesus suffered, and we're going to suffer if we're followers of Jesus in a different way from the rest of the world. You're going to suffer for righteousness' sake. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've actually signed up for that. That's actually a promise in the scriptures, that you will suffer for righteousness' sake if you're following Jesus. Now that's, that's different. That's different from the rest of the world. And you may say, oh, well, I think I can be a Christian and, and not. But that's not how the Gospels talk about Jesus. That's not what Jesus lays out for us. He says, you will suffer because you're going against the rest of the world. This book here, the thoughts in this book, how the, the, the salvation history in, in this Bible, everything about this goes against everything we know as sinful human beings in this world. The world is saying, no, accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Get your house, get your job, save up money, save for retirement, uh, invest in stocks, accumulate your money, put in banks, blah, blah, blah. You know what the Bible says about that? Tomorrow's not even promised to you. You're going to do all that, and then your life is going to be demanding of you the next day. It's totally different. It's a totally different mindset from the rest of the world. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. You're going to suffer daily. And you may say, well, I don't want that. But here's the thing. Jesus says, it looks so contradictory, and it looks like it goes against everything you are, but it's the abundant life. It's the life I came to give you, and you're going to find true meaning and purpose and, and hope and goodness and grace and mercy in all those things because you've seen me do it too. And suffering is... Well, Jesus, so he, he's persevered. He is steadfast to the point of death. Most of us, we give up way too easily. So let, let's say, let's say um, you have a certain sin that you're tempted with. Most of us just give in, give in easily. Jesus, he suffered under every temptation of sin, as Hebrews chapter 4 says, to the point of death where he didn't, he didn't submit to that sin to where he actually overcame it. And he's given that to us. In his death and his resurrection, he's given us the ability to overcome. So that sin in your life that, that is a struggle for you, that suffering in your life that is a struggle for you, Jesus has given you and shown you how to overcome that. And like I said, most of us just give up way too easily. Most of us just say, oh, well, you know, this is the way I am or this is the way life is and I just have to live this way. But Jesus says, no, there's a better life for you than this. You can actually overcome this. And there's a tremendous example of this in our church right now. 
uh, in Wendy Sasso. And a lot of you guys don't know who Wendy is. Uh, a lot of you guys are very familiar with who Wendy is. Um, but by the end of this video, we'll all see uh, her example. Hello, my name is Wendy, and this is my story. I should give you some background on how I came to be a part of my church community. About four years ago, I was broken, lost, and depressed, feeling that I was not and never would be enough. I found TLC on a whim, searching through Facebook, but now I know that it was God who led me there. I was a believer, but I had never heard the message that my identity and destiny could only be found in Christ. You see, I believe that my identity could only be found in the approval of others. Of course, this could never be satisfied because I never seemed able to be good enough to fulfill the expectations of people. After a lifetime of living this way, the many hurts and clinical depression, it finally caught up with me. God was ready for me to hear a new story, the true story. Slowly, God began to help me understand that I was His perfect creation, His child made in His image, and therefore my identity, who I was, could only be found in Him. You see, God didn't create me to seek approval from humans. He didn't create me to be someone I wasn't in order to suit another person's likes or dislikes. No. He created me to be His shining glory, to live just as He created me, unique and precious in His sight. I'd always heard it preached that in Christ there is freedom, but I had no idea what that meant. One Sunday morning during the service, the light bulb went on. Because I was God's child and He loved me just as I was, quirks, shortcomings, quiet, not quiet. I didn't ever have to worry about what others thought of me. What a burden lifted off my shoulders. Freedom, this is what it meant. I was free to be me, to be just who he created me to be. No seeking approval or pretenses or games. What a gift. This realization changed my life. I mentioned that I had experienced a very bad clinical depression. It was devastating and horrific. I felt as if I was in a pit and there was no way to climb out. My time was spent curled on the floor in tears or in nothingless, emotionless. But in this time of great despair, thankfully I cried out to God over and over and over, crying, shouting, pleading and then crying again and God in his infinite mercy met me just where I was every time I cried I somehow felt Jesus holding me stroking my hair as a loving father would do to his little girl 
wanting to take the pain away, but knowing that at that moment, we must walk through it together until I was healed. I'm so grateful to say that I recovered and I drew near to Jesus more than I ever had before. I now see that God was preparing me for the biggest fight of my life, cancer. If anyone had told me a year or two ago that I would be fighting for my life right now, I would have brushed it off. Back in March, I underwent major surgery to remove a large tumor along with my reproductive organs. The surgery was complicated and I began hemorrhaging and almost died. But the peace I felt was incredible. I felt that Jesus was by my bedside holding my hand. No panic, no fear. This verse came to mind. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It was such a feeling of overwhelming awe to know that God literally held my life in his hands. Slowly I recovered and healed from the surgery. There were many, many more unpleasant bumps along the way, but I always sensed that Jesus was walking through them beside me. There have been countless instances when I have said, God, I can't do this anymore. And each time when I thought I couldn't go any further, the strength to carry on somehow appeared. There have been times when I felt sure that God was going to answer my prayer in a certain way, but I didn't get the answer I hoped for. Those times were difficult, but through it all I never stopped talking to him, telling him how I felt. And then he reminded me that he's always planning the best for me. Even if it may not appear that way right now, he reminded me that I only need to trust him. It's been a long journey, and now I'm entering a new phase. In some ways, the most challenging of all. An MRI has shown that despite nine months of chemo, the ca cancer is progressing. The chemo has stopped working. Surgery is not an option, and according to the doctors, this last resort is to try another chemo drug, which is known to be less effective. But it's a last resort in an attempt to buy time from the inevitable. On the one hand, I have the doctors telling me that they know from a medical perspective that I probably only have a few months to live. And then on the other hand, I say, yeah, but God, God is the only one who truly knows how long I will stay on this earth. God is the only one who knows the plans he has for me. God is the only one capable of defying medicine and then the blink of an eye can re remove every trace of cancer from my body. Now, I'm a reasonable person, and I believe that science and medicine are valuable tools that are used to help us get well. I believe that doctors are skilled in their field, and they're accurate in what science is telling them. But I'm also a person who personally knows a God, a Savior, who's greater than all of this, greater than science, greater than all the knowledge man has to offer. And that is where I choose to put my hope when I'm facing a battle. 
not in chariots and horses as it says in Psalm 20, but in the name of the Lord our God, the one who fights my battles and delivers me from harm. I don't know if the Lord will choose to heal me while I'm here on this earth, but one thing I do know is that I will be healed. So if He chooses to call me home, then I'm ready for that. For I have the promise that there will be no more sickness and no more pain. I hope in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And I can say in earnest, Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus conquered that final evil that we fear the most. He overcame death. So why would I worry? As Paul said, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know what's in store for me in the next month or two, but I do know that I only have to put my trust in Him and He'll shelter me under His wing and give me strength to endure whatever comes. It's not going to be fun, but I will continue to run the race as long as He wants me to and to set my eyes on the prize ahead. I want to encourage you to not give up or get discouraged in the midst of your battles and, and trials, but instead to look to our Savior Jesus Christ, and He will never leave your side, I promise. Many of you know me, but there are many of you who don't know me and yet have still made the effort to reach out to me and pray for me and contribute to the recent fundraisers. I can't tell you how much this outpouring of love has meant to me. You're all a true example of the church, the body of Christ. Acts 2.44 says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I am so encouraged by your faith and community as you live out the kingdom story. May you continue to grow in love for each other, for Christ, and for our city. You are truly playing a role in ushering in the kingdom to our city and the world. Hello. That's what new life looks like. That's what Jesus came to give us. She can't do that without without Jesus. I remember uh, when Gable filmed this, and uh, I wish Gable was here to see it today, um, but when Gable sent it to me, I, I watched it one day by myself, and um, I got to the point where she said, death, where's your sting? And I, I audibly cried. <laughs> It just came out of nowhere. It just I was like, blah. Um, and and it weren't they weren't tears of sadness. I'd only cried one time like that in my life. 
and it was on my wedding day, actually, after a bee flew in my eye. <laughs> no, I only cried one time like that, and it was just because of these overwhelming, it was just this overwhelming joy by seeing somebody who's going through so much, and that's only half of Wendy's story. Those of you guys who know Wendy know that she's dealt with way more than, than this. And she's, she can honestly say she's stronger, healthier today than she has ever been in her life. No matter what her physical debilitations are. Because that's what life in Christ is. There's abundance, there's joy. Uh, I don't know how anyone goes through something like that without uh, knowing that death is not the end. That, oh death, where is your sting? Now that there is victory in Jesus. And whenever you're in the presence of Wendy, she's, she's open-handed. She says, I'm good if I stay. She's probably even, I'm better if I go. She can't wait to be with Jesus. And if Jesus wants her to stay here, she's fine with that. If Jesus says, I want you in my loving arms, she's really fine with that. That's what the power of the resurrection is in our lives. It gives us an, a completely new perspective on life, on suffering, on, on relationships, on anything else in our lives because he's been through it all. He can sympathize with us. He does sympathize with us. God sympathizes with you in your struggles. You have God's compassion. He doesn't want you to be there. He wants you to be somewhere else. And he, he shows us how to be steadfast and he gives us that. And then he is the eternal source of salvation, Hebrews finishes with saying in verse 9. It says, because of all this, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And that's what you have in Jesus Christ. So if you today, if Jesus isn't, isn't that source from you, that's what he's offering for you today. He wants you to have life, to, to know that life is, uh, he designed you a certain way to live life and he wants you to live in that, he wants you to live it abundantly and he wants you to have this eternal source of salvation in him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer of Jesus this, this morning and, you're, and your life doesn't look like that, it doesn't look like what Wendy just shared with us, then you're on the baby slide. He doesn't want you to stay there. You're not experiencing life like he wants you to. And that's why you're saying, why am I not hearing from God? Why is my faith, why am I struggling in my faith? Why, why does this seem so uh, mundane? Because you're not experiencing God like he wants you to. Get off that slide and start trusting God. Let's pray. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.